0: Another echo to the iPad launch though, right? And I don't think this is necessarily a downside because I loved when the iPad launched and we were all like, how are you guys going to optimize apps for this thing? You're going to have to rewrite them all. And they're like, yeah, that'll be a slow process, but you're going to be able to use all the iPhone apps you right. want on the iPad on day one. And you're like, well, this is kind of awkward, but you know, it's good for now. At least there's something to run on it. Yeah. That's still the same MO Androids when you use right? Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah. for sure. We'll get
1: there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Geared Up. I'm Andrew Edwards. I am John Renger John, it's good to good to see you again. It is nice to uh, we can see each other, but it's yes. nice to hear your voice. But our voices are less exciting. We may have one of the most recognizable voices and prolific, not just tech YouTube, but I would say all of the internet, all of the world, internet or not. Please globally recognized, mm-hmm. internationally celebrated. Yes,
2: yes, it is the one and only. He, His name defines a whole industry. It is Mr. Mobile, Michael Fisher. How are you doing today, sir? <laughs>
0: Mr. Edwards, Mr. Rettinger, you know how to butter me up right after you send me a skew. You say, you got to use FaceTime for this. And then I'm all (laughs) jittery and and nervous and out of my mind. And then you come and you you tell the whole world that I'm much cooler than I am. And this is why I love you. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be talking tech with you as always.
1: Anybody who knows you will know that we did not oversell that intro. No, we did not.
0: (laughs) Undersold, (laughs) if anything.
1: I would probably say that seems fair.
0: All right. Well, you know, I'm with two luminaries on a beautiful... 3rd of July, and I I couldn't be happier. And thank you for having me on to talk about things that, you know, actually excite me. Yeah, absolutely,
2: absolutely. So I was actually excited to have you on because you and I were talking before WWDC where I was wondering, are you going to be there and all this, and you said something very interesting to me. You said, and actually, John, I haven't talked to John about this stuff either, none of the announcements either. But what you said to me was, this would be the first WWDC where you would feel genuinely excited to go because it's a new category of product, or maybe not a new category, but the way Apple would define it, I guess, would be it is a new and different product and not just the same old same with minor upgrades. And that interested me because... When I think of you, I typically think of smartphones. I think of sure. some of the best smartphone coverage out there, as we've already talked about a few minutes ago. And hearing you say that, you know, I'm always interested in what you have to say about mobile devices. And so that made me yeah. kind of like, what is he thinking? What is he gonna say about this? We didn't know, obviously, this was again this was before the event, so we didn't know exactly what Apple will be announcing or in what way they'd be announcing it. But now that they have, Apple Vision Pro has we been announced.
1: Most, we mostly knew. Well, we, 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 we,
2: <laughs> I you? think a lot of times with Apple leaks, like we know the specs, but we don't know like- Broad strokes. I don't know how Apple would define, like what, what is the experience? Like we've talked about before in the show, how is Apple gonna sell us on this? We know the specs, here's the hardware, but what is the software magic that is gonna make us kind of stand back and say, okay, I need to try this hardware. What are those specs gonna allow for? So I want to hear from both of you guys, actually, because I did a show last week with Dan Barbera and who else was it? I can't remember now. Well, I had two guests on who were both there. We, We all tried it and it was interesting getting perspective from people who tried. Oh, it was Brian Tong, Dan and Brian Tong. All of us tried this thing, but you guys haven't tried it, but you watched it. And I'm sure you both have strong opinions that I think not just me, but everyone wants to hear.
0: Sean, how strong are your opinions?
1: Would you, would you like to? My opinions are always strong. I, I will say, to echo the WWDC thing, this is true, right? It wasn't like a new phone. You're like, oh, I, I know what a higher refresh screen is going to look like. I kind of get a sense of what like, new software is going to look like. It's fine. I'll see it when it comes to my phone. This is like an all-new experiential thing, right? Absolutely. So I get that. Every new product Apple's announced, I think they've also announced it with perhaps it's made up, but a, a killer use case for said product. There's been a use case why that product should be purchased, should be should be bought. I don't didn't yet see a use case for Vision Pro. I mean, it's certainly a very cool technology. It's novel and manipulation of virtual things in a 3D space is incredible, and being able to have apps and that. It, there's a lot of really cool features, but the killer feature I don't see it yet, and perhaps that's why it's not coming out to next year. Maybe there's a Maybe the Disney Plus app is a killer feature. I don't know. I'm excited. I'm excited for it, but I'm cautious about it. Like, I think a lot of people are due to the price. What were your thoughts watching
2: like the unveil? Like, were you just waiting for that? Okay, sell me on why I
1: should spend $3,500 on this? Or, I mean, honestly, when, when Disney showed the sports implementation for it, I'm sure it was just a mock up, but they're showing an NBA game and you can move around and be able to see replays and something like that. Like, I'm in. If they do a sports location where you can watch a football game and be on the 50-yard line, like, I'm in. There's a lot of potential there. I don't want to undersell the potential, but I just – they didn't show it yet because maybe they don't know what it's going to be yet.
0: Yeah, I feel like there were a lot of echoes across the kind of social sphere of, like, this feels like the Apple Watch launch, right, where it's like it made a splash – there were some clear use cases demonstrated to your point it was a very focused presentation but you know when the product actually came to it took a, a generation or two for apple to actually see what the use cases were that were going to resonate for that thing absolutely a lot of much smarter people than i have have drawn lines to the ipad unveiling as well very similar kind of thing i think this one has additional challenges if you weren't there andrew you made the point that like you guys got to try it I have never in my life given a single damn about VR, or I had never, until I tried the first HTC Vive at that magical Mobile World Congress in whatever it was, 2015. And we had a big love fest on a podcast right afterward where a bunch of us were just seasoned at that point. I don't know, I was five years in maybe I was seasoned as overstating the case, but I should not have been fanboying to the extent that I was, because I'd had a life-changing experience. And that is still the challenge with this. AR slash VR product, MR product, whatever you call Vision Pro. Spatial computing is what they call it, sir. Sure. Yeah. I think you have had to have put your face in that computer to understand it at this point. And I think anyone oh, who is. hasn't tried it, yeah, I I think we're folks like John and, and me, are, our perspectives are probably useful because we are more in line with general consumers who haven't had a chance to use it yet either. Right. But the nature of this thing is that I think anyone who hasn't put their face in that thing, just, I'm going to listen to the people who have. And that's why I wanted to be there. And I wasn't. And I swear I'm not bitter about it. (laughs) I swear.
2: What did you guys think when the price was announced? The rumor was $3,000, which I think some of us were thinking was kind of a red herring, similar to the Apple Watch and iPad previously, where the rumors were Uh high prices. And then Apple's announcement was actually like half of what the rumor was. So we would think, okay, if the rumor's 3000 if Apple says this sure. is $2,000, that's going to be kind of a win. And instead, they went the other way, and the rumor was $3,000, it, and it went up to $3,500.
0: This will recur later in the podcast. I don't think the price matters that much. I do not think this product needs to sell in any meaningful numbers to be a success. I think this is a totally new thing that Apple is trying to do. And I think that price takes into account the fact that they're not expecting to sell them to literally everyone. I think that's three or four generations down the road. That's an
2: interesting, not that I disagree with the take, but it's an interesting take for me because I can't think of another product where Apple has that expectation. I feel when they release a product, especially a new one, we've never done this before, here it is. They're hoping to take the lead spot or at least come close, right? They want to sell millions of iPads, millions of Apple watches. They became the best selling watch, not just smartwatch in the world, best selling tablet in the world, best selling individual Mm -hmm. smartphone in the world, right? Yeah. What's funny because if they become the best selling headset in the world, they don't need to sell a lot because it's such a niche product already that if they sell 2 million, they're already the number one best selling in the world, not that they have to sell 2 million, but it's also interesting to say price doesn't matter because I see a sense that the people who would buy it at 3,500 are the people who would buy it at 5,000. If it was 5,000, those people who would buy it at 3,500 would buy it at 5,000. And the people who, there's very few people who are gonna be on the fence about, I really want it and I can afford it, but I don't know. I think it's either like you want it and you're gonna get it or you're gonna wait and see when prices come down and technology improves.
1: I think we're forgetting about the Apple pay later thing that they've got.
2: Hmm. Hmm.
0: Oh, <laughs> Oh, built into the apple. Yes. cart yeah. thing,
1: Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which may, which may move a needle mm. one way or another. I agree. I don't think the price mattered too much. I think generally when Apple makes products, there's economies of scale factored in, right? It's a network good. How many people buy it how many people are using it is the value there. So I think this is price high for probably account for really not much of a much of a scale of production. You know, the recent rumors were somewhere between 120,000 to I think 250,000 for 24. So certainly the smallest of all Apple products. Obviously, the price is different, but this is echoing these to me reminiscent of the original Galaxy Fold launch. The issues aside, you know, it was a developer device. It was essentially a developer device. I think, again, on record, I think Samsung missed a chance to just call it a developer device and could have avoided all the headache. But this is essentially a here's what we're building. Come on if you want. But two or three years
0: from now, this is going to be a real thing. Yeah. That's a good analogy, I think. I think you're you're right because a, a lot of these same price conversations were being held back then. Who's going to buy a, a nearly $2,000 smartphone? You guys are insane. But of course, it was the start of a new chapter and it was necessarily more expensive. I think that's the case here too. I think the challenges here are really, really quite significant though because again, going back to the beginning of VR, if you're not wearing the thing, if you're observing someone using the thing, even if in a first-person sense – not many people are envious of the person in the visor. The user kind of always looks a little dumb, right? And Apple's doing that some interesting stuff to to curtail that with the presence, the eye. What do you call it? Uh, the vision thing? Eyesight. Eyesight. Yeah. And I think a lot of that's pretty smart, but I think this is going to be a much longer road than any new category Apple has tried to, to kind of set a course. And I think if any company can do it though... If any company has the credibility, has the track record to do it, it is Apple. Because how many times have folks sat there and said, oh, it's just a big iPhone. Who's going to buy that? Oh, smartwatches. Nobody cares. Michael, is this a product for you? No, I don't think so. I can't see the use cases meshing with my current lifestyle in the first generation. I think second or third gen, that might change. But again, without having put my face in it, I, yeah. I can only respond on instinct. What are the things that would make it a product for you? I think I think that's a question for both of you guys. That's a great question and since John teed me up for it, I'll answer it real quick. I think it would have to be a mobile product. And this is an this is a home product of necessity. I understand there's the battery pack. I know you can take it with you on planes, but I think the limitations are such that I couldn't take it out and use it like a phone. It couldn't help me in my day-to-day yeah. multitasking running around in the way that a that a phone can. So I think that's what it would have to be. It would not necessarily a phone replacement, but at least a phone companion that enhanced the utility of using a smart device on the go. It's not a specific use case that you're looking for as
2: opposed to how and where you can use it.
0: Correct. Yes. I think that's well, well put.
1: I mean, I feel like this echoes, for, especially for Michael and myself, to like, we don't know what we don't know. Right? We didn't try it. Mm. Like, I don't know. Like, right. I'm with Michael on that camp, but like, maybe there's a use case like I didn't think of maybe somehow Apple integrates a driving functionality. really really seems things while you're driving and suddenly you've got a full augmented world in front of you with directions and messages coming in where you have your eyes on the road. Like I couldn't even begin to think about what the features could be. Maybe it's a huge editing canvas in front of me. Like, we don't know. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm sure to look ridiculous with my, you know, my eyes popping out, you know, walk around with this thing, but like, <laughs>
0: shoot, give me, give me a use case. Yeah. No, I guess not to, steal your job as host Andrew but I would love to know well, I know you already talked about it a lot on this cast and I want you to revisit the thing but like what just was the number one thing that stood yeah. out for you when you when you were in it Yeah for me you know after the
2: event Genius Bar had a live show in San Francisco and at that live show I said it was the most profound experience I've had with a consumer electronics product ever Previously that would have been the first time I tried VR which was, I forget, Oculus. What was the first Oculus? Not the, like the one that had to plug into a computer. Is it the Rift? Yes, Oculus Rift. And it's because, you know, these are obviously very similar products, right? About eight years in between them. It's because it's very rare that you try any experience that really changes your perception of what reality is, right? yeah like that and that's what vr does and that's what this did vr did it in a way that you put it on and it just takes you to a different place places you could have never gone before like standing at the bottom of the ocean floor looking at whales right like first of all i can't even swim okay that's number one (laughs) but number two if you were in the bottom of the ocean floor, you have to like scuba dive down there and you can't just stand casually. And I'm, I'm assuming it's super stressful yeah. and dark. This product allows you to just do things like that. Can, can we back up to, you? you can't swim? First of all, I can't ride a bike or swim, okay? <laughs> two things oh, man, everyone okay. makes fun of me for. No, plenty of time for that. Plenty of time <laughs> to learn to do those things, that's all right. I'm a two feet on the ground kind of guy. I'll go, I'm on a swimming sure, pool. I'll go on a swimming pool, splash around a little bit, but that's about it for me. I've seen you on a tractor or two. Let's, uh, let's make <laughs> that sure. Is true. That is true. When you put on Vision Pro, this is what's interesting, okay? When you put on an Oculus, you are transported right away, right? When you put on a Vision Pro, you literally go nowhere. And at first that sounds like, oh, that's not exciting at all until you realize you're looking at screens. You're not looking through clear glass. Yeah. So for me to be able to put something on and continue looking around the room as fast as my head can move and everything seems normal as if I'm looking through glass, that's incredibly impressive, right? That's hard to do. That's what the, the, yeah, R, yes. the R1 chip is responsible for. Then when you just tap the button to pull up the main menu, the home screen, your room dims ever so slightly, as if someone is controlling smart lights in the room. Like the room looks as if you're looking through glass and someone just dimmed the lights. And then as you go through a setup process, it'll change slightly the color of the lighting in the room. Like it doesn't look weird. It looks like the light is changing. There's no filter being applied on top of the room, if that makes sense, although there has to be, because that's how it would have to work, I don't know. The coolest part for me, aside from the tech, like the tech demos are tech demos, but tech demos are meant to impress you, right? The more subtle thing for me was something I never experienced in VR before, which is if I take a screen or I take an interface or whatever and I put it somewhere in the room, right? Let's say I put a, I made a 90-inch screen and I just put it on the coffee table in front of me. And then I look over here, I look over there, I'm looking around, whatever, I look back, it is exactly where I put it. As if, you know, the monitor on my desk here in front of me, if I put it here and then I move around and look over there and go over here and take it off, put it back on, the monitor is still where I put it. And in VR, you'll have some sides, sometimes you get like a little jitter or things will move slightly. This is like, it's anchored to where you put it. That to me was the most impressive thing. It's because it's those little things that are going to be the foundation for every other experience we have on these And the fact that Apple is controlling, I forget what that term for that technology is, but like the tracking of objects, Apple is controlling that themselves and providing an API to developers. So developers won't have, okay, I have my way of tracking and he has his way of tracking and they have their way of tracking. And then you jump between apps and things aren't in line with each other. You have different expectations or, or experiences. Apple is saying, we're going to do all the tracking. You just pull it from the API and we'll make sure things stay where they're supposed to stay. So I think that would be for me what the most interesting thing was. As far as use case goes, I think it is a home device like Michael was said, because number one, it almost expects you to be stationary or not almost, it expects you to be stationary. I think it auto creates a boundary for you, which I believe is roughly 10 feet. If you just step out of that boundary, it takes you into reality. But secondly, when John was like, maybe when you're driving can do all these cool things, at least for the first generation, it actually has a speed limit. So if you're going faster than a certain speed, it will not work unless it detects that you're in an airplane. If you're in an airplane, then it will. And obviously, I'm assuming it's using advanced sensors or something to know that there's an airplane and any other vessel or vehicle. But what I was saying, too, in case you missed it, John, was for me, it felt like a must have device, but it's a must have device for someone who lives and breathes tech, loves tech and wants to use it for fun. I don't know. I mean, I haven't, I haven't tried it for this use case, but I don't know that I would put it on and use it for work. I just don't know that I would, that would do that. Like, even if you can use it as a display for a more powerful machine, like let's say you're using it with your Mac Studio or whatever, I think I would just rather use just a, a typical display. But again, I don't know. I've never tried it. You know, whole it's a whole thing. new thing, right? There, there's yeah. so many questions. And in fact, I feel like, there's questions that Apple will still have to answer. I think we'll have another event for this, just like they did with the Apple Watch. They introduced it at one yeah. event and then had another event kind of reintroducing and telling us more. They didn't go into gaming much at all. They did say there would be over 100 Apple arcade games on day one compatible with it, but there's no VR controllers. It, they're compatible with an Xbox or PlayStation controller, which means you're not like reaching out and doing
0: things unless you're doing it with your hands. yeah. Another echo to the iPad launch though, right? And I don't think this is necessarily a downside because I loved when the iPad launched and we were all like, how are you guys going to optimize apps for this thing? You're going to have to rewrite them all. And they're like, yeah, that'll be a slow process, but you're going to be able to use all the iPhone apps you right. want on the iPad on day one. And you're like, well, this is kind of awkward, but you know, it's good for now. At least there's something to run on it. Yeah. That's still the same MO Androids
1: when been use it, right? yeah (laughs) yeah. for sure (laughs) we'll get there
2: (laughs) why don't we switch over let's switch over to that so the three of us have been using the pixel fold yes let me say i just want to be the first one to say because i've been the most skeptical i guess of foldable devices this is definitely despite some shortcomings this is definitely my favorite foldable device that i've used I find the outer screen to be much more usable than a Galaxy Fold. I'm still not like on board with like the flip style. I just don't like those. But as far as folding tablets, folding into a smartphone go, I really like the Pixel Fold. And I think the form factor both inside and out, for me at least, is the best one, the most usable one. I just wish, as John alluded to a minute ago, that the apps, were optimized for the inner screen, at least more of them, or at least the the most popular ones. And it's a shame to me that not even all of Google's apps, first-party apps, are optimized for the inner screen, which that to me, we were just talking about Apple. Like If if Apple releases a new phone or a new tablet, at least the first-party stuff is going to be supporting those devices on day one. That's really my only complaint, though. It's not really much of a complaint because I do like this thing so much more
0: than the fold. I have a question about that. Like, I mean, you, you, which apps are you referring to that Google makes that are not optimized for this? Like, I open this up and I go to... YouTube Studio.
2: Yeah, that was the first one that came to mind for me. Sure. Yeah, right. One of my most used YouTube apps or Google apps.
0: Yeah, no. For Okay, but beyond that, like Google made apps, like... I don't know, I think about Gmail, Chrome, Maps, YouTube, those are the apps that I spend the most amount of time on and the apps that I benefit the most from a large screen on. And those are optimized for like any foldable, not just this. So like, I don't have that much of a problem. I feel like Google did what it said it was going to do with the 50 most used apps in there that they make that they're responsible for. They've done a good job of optimizing those for this canvas. And I think they do well. The weather app is a work of art. So like, I don't see that as much of a problem as the third party app issue we've had forever. That is a fair point. I guess for me, it was just a little
2: jarring to expect. And obviously, YouTube Studio is that's pretty niche, right? Like there are a lot of people Very. who use YouTube, but it's pretty niche as a YouTube content creator specific app. So I will see that point there. But I guess for me, it was more like tapping on something I know is made by Google and not seeing it just fill the screen I was like, oh,
0: wait, what? Right. Yeah, no, I understand, and like, I think that is going to continue to be the challenge of this thing. But that is why Google built this thing the way it did, because you were talking about how the cover screen is a lot more useful, and that's one major side effect of them going wide, right? But this other thing where you open it up and it's automatically a landscape, and any app you open up is like, oh, I'm in a landscape orientation. That's weird. I appreciate that Google went the hard way on that because it means that. If it works this time, and it didn't work 10 years ago when they tried to do it with tablets, but if it works this time, it will introduce pressure or incentives in the developer community to make apps for foldables, which are having a moment right now. And that is the hope. John, how have you been feeling
1: about it? This was probably the phone that I was most excited about the entire year. I spent more time thinking about the Pixel Fold before it was announced than probably any other phone that I have tried. I think perhaps next to Michael, my love for foldables is very strong. It's palpable. (laughs) It is palpable. I'm I'm working on writing the script for this review, and I'm trying to boil it down to a few things. Is this a good phone? First of all, yes or no. And then is it a good phone for the price? And sort of those are the two that I'm trying to to decide. If you can recommend a phone, you're also recommending the price of a phone. So I'll get there in a second. In regards to the apps, the first party Google apps that are optimized, in all fairness, it is most of them, if not all, look beautiful, look incredible. I found myself just randomly staring at the weather app because it just looks so nice. Yeah. Or just like, wow, look at this calendar because it, it looks so good. And I think I see things like that. I'm like, this is like foldables are in. And then like I want to customize it on my outer screen and my inner screen, and I can't do that. I like, think it's on a foldable. I, I like to have separate what I want on my outside is not the same thing that I want on my inside. And I'm sure I'm not alone there. And it's probably a, a software fix that's that's coming. Well, not necessarily. At least I'm hopeful. It's a software thing that could be that could be fixed. It's not a hardware issue, at least I'm assuming.
0: Yeah, this is the way most foldables run. So you're you're used to Samsung. Yeah,
1: exact. That, but that's been the de facto, right? When it comes to most foldables, at least Americans are used to. If you use one that's similar, that's that's the experience, right? There's nothing else. We're not getting some of the Chinese brands here, unfortunately. I love the outer display. I think the aspect ratio of the outer display is perfect. I would use a phone that looked exactly like the outer display. Yeah, I think yeah. it's probably the most perfect outer display that I have ever used. And I've got a very strong love for Samsung's foldables. This was the first foldable I've been so excited about that I, the excitement waned quickly and I'm trying to figure out why. And I, and that's like a, that's such a bad thing to quantify and be able to share with an audience. I don't know why the excitement wore off so fast. You mean after using yeah. it? After using it. I don't know what it is. If it's a fault of the phone or fault of the user, if it's, it's my, maybe it's an inherent bias that I have. I like the phone. I don't love it as much as I thought I was going to. And I don't know why. And that's a very hard thing to quantify. I find this to happen to me anytime
2: I'm using a Pixel device. Huh. Any Pixel. And I like Pixels. I like them. I like what Google does with their devices. I don't agree with every decision they make, but overall, I like Pixel devices, but I rarely... I'm excited for them. I get them in and then... It seems like when Apple and Samsung, which is you know, the other two major players, right, when they release a phone, kind of what we were talking about earlier with the Vision Pro, it's like they put a feature or a use case or some sort of exciting novelty in it that when you get it, it's like it kind of and I feel like Google does. it. It's just like it's, it's the same experience as any other Pixel. It just folds.
1: But I think I can appreciate the Pixel for what it is, right? I get a Pixel because I want an incredible camera. I get a pixel because I want that first party integration. Yeah, software. And I think the killer use case is you open it up and you have a tablet. Like that's still very cool. I just I don't know. And I'm having a heck of a time trying to articulate what it is about it. That's kind of putting me off. Michael, do you have any you feel the same way?
0: I can maybe contribute to that a little bit. Yeah, John, I think the thing is this. Like to be clear, I think this will be my new go-to main foldable for workdays, like replacing mm-hmm. the Galaxy Fold that I've carried for four generations. That said, there's a lot about this that is a compromise. I'm not a guy who complains about bezels all day, but there's no question that kind of yeah. the asymmetry pronounces itself a little bit when you open it up. The tensor introduces some thermal issues. That it doesn't have the best battery life. It's heavy. There's a lot to this thing that is like, if not bad, then at least a compromise. And so I feel like when you gather all those things up in concert and you're confronted with one or more of them every time you use it, it may not make you dislike the device, but it, it certainly takes the sheen off a lot more rapidly than it would if maybe this were a Pixel Fold Gen 2 or a 3. I think that's
1: fair. Can I, Michael, let me ask you some specific questions. And Andrew, some things that, I don't know, maybe are bugging me and that maybe I'm way off base. The placement of the fingerprint reader. Above the volume button. Screws me up every time. Am I, am like, am I, am I alone? Like, am <laughs> I alone, not alone on
0: that? And I have huge it, thumbs. And it, like, it's thumbs. not that we could adapt if they had changed the texture on one or the other. But the power button and the volume rocker feel exactly the same. So I, every time I get it wrong, I can't believe they shipped it like this. <laughs> I haven't had issues with that because I feel when
2: I hold it, it's like it just naturally goes there for me. But I certainly can see what you guys are saying.
0: It's the inverted version of the full, of the Galaxy Fold. Which I
2: wasn't a big fan of, and so okay.
0: I didn't get Got used it. to. Yeah. Probably some muscle memory working against us there. How do you find the speakers? Lovely. I find them tremendous for such a thin device. I've gone to bed watching YouTube more than once and been very pleased. Ooh, oh. that sounds dangerous. Oh, the device it's, it's is heavy? <laughs> oh my I've God. been <laughs> underwhelmed by speakers, but maybe,
1: maybe I'm listening to the wrong, the wrong audio. I'm going to give the speakers another, maybe some more, some more tests.
0: Yeah, position it in the tabletop or mini laptop mode because I find that that gives me better sound and it also removes the hazard of dropping it on my nose. Mm.
1: Okay, I good. haven't spent that much time actually in the tablet mode or in the, uh, the book mode. Tabletop? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I like it. I just, I was like, I was like, this is it. Like, I am back on Android full time. Like, I want this thing. And then I got it in. I was like, I don't know. I don't know. I, think, I don't know. I, just, I don't know. I don't, I don't
0: know. Yeah, I think it is. I think it's those little things that add up into something that, you know, also, I, I don't know, you're throwing down a hell of a gauntlet there. If you're saying this is going to be the thing that takes me this to full-time it. Android from, a, from an embedded ecosystem standpoint, that's, I don't know if any device will do that for you. I can switch pretty easily. It I does it all the time. That. Well, then what was the last device that did it for you?
1: The last device that got me to switch was Z Fold3. Okay. Loved it. I mean, I, right. it's a foldable. They're asking something different, like if it's a candy bar that's similar to the iPhone, like what am I getting to leave the ecosystem? What's the advantage that I'm gaining? Another phone that's next to me that I can't talk about to me is more exciting than the Pixel. And it's just a regular candy bar phone. I don't know why. There's something intangible about it that I want to use it that I just don't have with the Pixel Fold. That is interesting.
0: It plays into what you were talking about exactly, Andrew. Like there is not a single thing you can point to with the Pixel Fold that says this is a different experience from any other foldable, aside from the aspect ratio thing, which we've discussed. Yeah, there isn't a single whiz-bang thing. It's more of a, you have to approach it cohesively. I agree with you, John, about that other device. Yeah. In terms of just that quick dopamine hit of like, oh, right? oh, fun. I would pick the Pixel Fold for my lifestyle anytime because it's, sure. what do you call it? Exponentially more useful.
2: Fair. Sure. Another thing, or maybe another way to look at it is, you know, I've, as you guys have been talking, I've just been kind of opening and closing and looking at my fold, probably closer than I have during like the review process. And I was listening to the pros and cons that as Michael yeah. was talking, and it just kind of brought to light how many compromises foldables still have to make, right? Like, the form factor that we were just talking about and how, like for me at least, I don't think either of you mentioned it, like how tightly it closes. Like I love it so mm-hmm. much, but because of how tightly it closes, that's what gives us those bezels on the inside that I don't like. And if I, if I don't want those bezels, then we can't have as tight of a close. And so there's so many little things or the like John said, he loves pixels for the incredible camera. I personally yeah. don't think The Fold has an incredible camera. It has a very good camera. I don't don't have complaints about the camera, but if I compare it to the Pixel 7 Pro, I feel like there's an obvious difference in quality. And I would hope, you know, I think the average person at least would hope, okay, Pixel 7 Pro, you could probably get it for 600 bucks, 700 bucks, right? For 11 to 1200 more, I would hope that at the very least, it's the same camera quality at the very least, right? If not better, at least on par. That's fair. And it's not, again, because of, you know, how thin and all that, like, even with the, it's a pretty, you know, the bump is pretty out there, but it doesn't match up with what we were using nine months ago when the Pixel 7 came out. So there are those things where it's like, it's a new product. It's an exciting product. It's the first foldable from Google, and it's probably only the second or third foldable in this form factor, second in the US that we can get our hands on, but using it
0: does point out all of the little compromises that were made to make it. And I think Google strategically planned those compromises, though, because I shot alongside the Fold 4 with this thing for a whole, you know, my entire review period, and I was struck by how just punishingly better it is in Zoom and night and combo zoom and night shots than the Samsung. And I agree with you about the Samsung's performance. So I think that there was obviously a lot of price pressure on Google to to try and keep this thing somewhere close to affordable for a first gen. They've got to pay off all the R&D and all that kind of stuff. And it, it is not affordable, but at least they matched Samsung's initial offering price and they did outperform in some areas. Also, yeah, you're right about the tightly closing thing. And that also, this hinge design also gives us It's the thinnest foldable that we've got certainly here in the States. It's one of the thinnest full format foldables uh, in the world. So yeah, it's a matter of what compromises you want to make. I don't think the price is – I think it's like the Vision Pro. I I said this would recur later. I don't think the price matters. I think this is a thing that Google has built to try once again to incentivize developers to make all foldables better on Android and to make all tablets better on Android by bolstering the ecosystem and by saying – we are Google. Lord knows we cancel a lot of things, but we're committed to foldables. Who knows if you can actually believe them, but I think this is what they're trying to say. I want to ask a question about the price doesn't matter.
1: Do you think the price should matter to people who bought it and what they're getting for that? If, if they're the ones who are starting to make the purchase. So this wasn't Google and sent me this device. I bought it, paid $1,200 for it. Yeah. Should that, should price matter?
0: Do you think to me or, or you or the folks that paid for it? I still think that's money well spent if you take it against the Fold 5 presumed pricing. Sure. You know, Let's talk Fold 4 because we don't, I don't know anything about Fold 5 right now. But I think we assume assume flat price, right? they've been pretty, yeah. Like I think either way you go to Andrew's point, you're deciding which compromises to make. As a matter of fact, my headline for the review was almost choose your pain because (laughs) you're right. You have to decide what you're going to compromise when you get a foldable. And the pixel fold brings something very different in terms of experience, to the book-style foldable conversation. Some things are better, though, and some things are worse. And I think 1800 I wouldn't feel bad for anybody who spent 1800 on it, certainly not, and unless you manage to break it. And then if you have to deal with Google service and repair, Lord knows, we'll see how that goes. That
2: was a good question, John, because the price doesn't matter to Google because here's what they're trying
1: to do. But to the buyer, the price is always going to matter for what they get. I feel like in my head, maybe the reason I feel this way about it is because of the price. And maybe it's inherent bias because Samsung, in all fairness, Samsung has generally sent me the full devices and I haven't bought right. them. Right, And perhaps that's like a me thing. And I'm saying this on a podcast. I'm saying it publicly. Like, maybe that's a me thing. And maybe if I had paid for the full devices, I would feel the same shortcomings. But I think when I put out that amount of money, my expectations for what I expect in return are great. And I think Michael's point is he's willing to pay for the future of foldables. Put the money down now as a down payment for what that tree is going to bloom into. Is that a fair
0: statement? Yeah, I don't know. I don't think that the money enters my consciousness when I'm talking about a first gen product in a, in a category like that. Like it's just there's too much other stuff to. Yeah. But I see what you're saying. Michael's saying he can temper his expectations
2: and will do so knowing yeah. it's What's- a first gen product and what the expectation would be with a first gen product.
0: Right. And particularly a Google first gen product, because these have not historically been wonderful.
2: Yeah. One
0: thing I was wondering, and it kind of goes back to
2: when Michael said it's not it's not really about the price and Google's really going for more of this long term strategy. One thing that screams that to me is the fact that if you try to order one of these right now, it's already been released. I just I was just looking yesterday. If you want to order one right now, the shipping date was September. Wow. Really? I don't think that means all these people are just rushing to buy it up. I think it means like Google's just like, yeah, we'll we'll make them when we make them and we'll ship them when we ship them. We just need to get these out there. I was in shock. It was like mid-September, like 10 weeks from now. It's going to take 10 weeks to get one of these if you're trying to work, at least least the the white one. But how often do you see like a new product launch that's not a PlayStation or something where the PlayStation was because
1: everybody was buying them up and like trying to resell them even. They're also selling for over $2,000 on uh, like Swappa and those places.
0: Wow. But again, like I, I think if Google was serious, if, if Google needed to move a ton of units, they would have just made a ton of trade-in deals, a lot very appealing. They would have maybe done something different with the price and they would have had stock. And I don't think that's the purpose of this device. I truly don't. That sounds like another
1: foldable company.
0: It sounds like two more companies yeah. at this point. I mean, Motorola has really worked with the carriers to offer a lot of deals on that Razer+. The Razor Plus deals are insane. The at and has got it for like nothing. <laughs> like, like $5 a month. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a free phone. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> it's like a $200 Razor Plus. It's crazy. <laughs> Michael, thank you for joining us this week. To talk always so happy to be here proposals. with you guys. It's Always great to have you here.
0: Insight is uh, immeasurable. I'm so happy to see you both. It's been too long for, for John. Andrew, I see you all the time, but I never get enough. I, I love you both. Thank you
1: see you in a tropical setting later on this year? Oh, why not? I there we go. <laughs> I can make it out there.
2: <laughs> and that is it for this edition of Geared Up. Thank you so much for listening. Of course, you can catch John and I on YouTube. I'm at youtube.com slash gear live. And John is at youtube.com slash John 4 lakers feel free to head over and subscribe to our channels to stay up to date on all the latest tech speaking of subscribing you can subscribe to geared up in your favorite podcast app if you haven't done so already just search geared up that's two words not one in apple Podcasts, spotify Pocket Casts, overcast or really wherever you choose to listen if you like what we do please consider leaving us a rating and review it really helps other people find the show geared up is a gear live podcast and you can see more from us at gearlive.com. Thank you so much for listening. For John Rettinger, I'm Andrew Edwards, and we'll catch you in the next episode.